0: The following audio is from Redeemer Church in Hendersonville, Tennessee. More information about Redeemer Church can be found on our website at RedeemerTN.org.
1: Our sermon passage today is found in Hebrews 8. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent, that the Lord set up, not man, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. But he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I show no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." and they shall not teach each one his and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying know the lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest for i will be merciful toward their iniquities and i will remember their sins no more in speaking of a new covenant he makes the first one obsolete and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away
0: All right, well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. So glad that you are worshiping here this morning. If uh, you just walked in and uh, missed the introduction uh, that Jamie gave me, I am a guest here this morning. And uh, so I always uh, tell people, especially as I'm a guest speaker, if you don't like the preaching here this morning, please come back next week, right, as a a new person. I would love to have you uh, back here. Um, but it is a true honor and privilege uh, to be here. And I know that that's what many uh, guests, uh, speakers, and preachers say, but I want to explain why that is uh, the case uh, for me. Uh, I'm, I'm newer to uh, the area, and uh, because of that, and really with the nature of my job, I help uh, church planners all the way from Michigan down to Tennessee. And so because of that, uh, my job has me traveling and I'm speaking at or visiting quite a, a number of different churches. And uh, my first experience here at Redeemer... Uh, was actually on uh, just this past Easter uh, Easter Sunday. And uh, I got to tell you, this is really a compliment uh, to you guys as a church. Um, As I've visited a lot of churches, you'd think that it's um, kind of just expected that people would uh, welcome you and talk to you and uh, just engage with you. Uh, But that's uh, not always the case, but it was uh, uh, sincere and true here at Redeemer. As I came in and and uh, people uh, welcomed me and, and talked to me. And so uh, that was a, a really great thing. The other thing is is that the worship was so good here. Now, I'm not talking about the worship band. Yes, they are talented and they've, they've done a good job. But as far as the congregation engaging and singing and just um, uh, really exalting the Lord, uh, you guys have done uh, such a great job. But here's why it truly is an honor and privilege Uh, for me to be speaking here this morning, is um, that this is a church that upholds the Word of God. Now, you would think that that would be the case for churches all over the United States, but unfortunately, uh, that's becoming less and less true. And As I have heard Pastor Jamie um, preach here, and even uh, Pastor Ben preach here, uh, this uh, church uh, holds to the Word of God and, and preaches it boldly. And and so I just want to thank you for that. I want to commend you. I want to encourage you to to keep on in that path. And especially as you guys are going through uh, kind of a time of of change and transition, Uh, I I know what it's like. I was a church planter. And uh, for many church planters, we dream and fantasize of the day that we would get the building, right? And, and some of you that have been on the launch team and you've set up hundreds upon hundreds of chairs and sound equipment, and you're like, yes, we have finally arrived. My word of encouragement for you this morning is that you haven't arrived, uh, that the building is actually not a destination. Um, it is certainly a tool, it is certainly a, a gift, but I believe that God has given you this gift and now your sacrifice and your work may be doubled or even tripled, because we know as Jesus was teaching, uh, he said that, you know, to whom much is given, much will be expected. And so I really look forward to seeing how much God is going to use you and use uh, this church and uh, use Jamie's leadership uh, here. Uh, So we're going to spend some time with all of that in God's Word uh, here this morning, but let's do this. Let's bow our heads and pray and ask God to just bless this time. Heavenly Father, we do We praise you and thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you are not a distant God, but that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us, to show yourself to us uh, through uh, your word that you've given us, uh, through your son Jesus, through your Holy Spirit. And and I ask uh, for two things this morning. First of all, I pray that you'd give us sharp minds. That even as we walk through some difficult parts of a passage that maybe even confusing at times, that you would give us a sharpness in our mind, but maybe more importantly, God, we ask that you would give us soft hearts, that that your Holy Spirit would do its work in in our hearts, changing us, transforming us, and conforming us into the image of your Son, Jesus. It's In his precious name that we pray, amen. Well, I know that we had our passage read to us already, but I do want to encourage you, if you brought your Bibles with you, open up to Hebrews chapter 8, verses uh, 1 through 13. I'm going to just read a couple of different things that I want you to underline. I know some of you have phones, so maybe if you want to digitally do that, just to kind of draw your attention to it as we look at this passage here today. In verse 5, it says, uh, they serve as a copy and shadow. Uh, There's this reference to the Old Testament. a copy and a shadow and then in the last part of verse 5 you'll see the word pattern in there if you want to underline the word pattern and then as this is being discussed by the author uh, he says that um, Jesus brings in a covenant Uh, he mediates a covenant that is better okay there is a new covenant it's not like the covenant verse 9 Uh, that was made with their fathers. So I know that we're kind of jumping right into the middle of a book here. This is uh, uh, the church that I had pastored at a couple years ago. We had walked through the uh, the book of Hebrews Uh, together. I didn't have the opportunity. We have a teaching team model and I didn't uh, get to uh, preach on on, uh, on chapter eight here, but uh, lots of stuff that's going on. But just to just give you a little bit of kind of context of kind of the whole book, the whole book is about how Jesus is better, how Jesus is greater than, how he is superior to what has come before. So it starts out saying that Jesus is superior than the angels, you know, that, that he's, he's greater than Moses, that Jesus was greater than the, the prophets. Jesus is even greater than the high priests. And in chapter 7, previous to what was just read here this morning, it says that Jesus' priesthood is this heavenly priesthood. Okay, so, so what is coming from all of this, and I, I love this, chapter 8 starts out saying, the point is this. How many times does a pastor get to have the passage that says, here's what the point is? But what is being referred to is all of this is leading up to say, because Jesus has this heavenly priesthood, he ushers in this new covenant. And the new covenant is better than the old. And that's actually the title and really the main idea of the entire chapter 8 is that the new covenant is better than the old. Now before we dive into what is actually why it is better, uh, there's two theological terms or two theological concepts uh, that we need to cover that will kind of help us to lay a foundation. Because you know what I have found is that the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament, or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, um, I believe that this is one of the most confusing parts of Christianity. The reason I say that is oftentimes as people would come to Christ in our church, it would usually be around month five or six, and I would you know, get a knock at my door or an email or someone pull me in the lobby and, and, and say, hey, I, you know, I, I've been, we've been learning all this stuff about Jesus, but I started reading the Old Testament and it doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't even seem to match up. It doesn't even seem seem to jive. So so what's the deal with this? Well, here are two of the, the uh, theological uh, terms or concepts that I want to cover that will lay a foundation for this passage before we look at the uh, comparing and contrasting of the new with the old. Uh, and the first is the immutability of God. Okay, you don't need to remember the terms, but, but I, I'm going to really hope that you remember the concepts. And that is, is that God doesn't change. Okay, God, God is the same hundreds of thousands of years ago, as the same as he is today, as the same as he will be hundreds of thousands, millions of years for eternity God doesn't change at all. It's actually one of the things that makes him so distinct from, from us as human beings. Because we, we do change. Okay, you, you've probably met people who have changed even in their character, who they are. Maybe you knew them at one time and they were a really generous person and then all of a sudden they became a greedy person. So they changed who they were, their character. Or, or maybe a uh, reverse of that. You've met someone who, you know, uh, uh, used to be not so nice and they were impatient. And then some things happened in their life. Maybe it was even that they became uh, a follower of Christ. And then because of that, they became, uh, uh, they became patient. Uh, Numbers 23.19 says, God is not man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind. You know, this, this speaks to the consistency of the character of, of God. He doesn't change. I don't know if you guys do this here at your church, but I'm going to make you do it anyways. I don't know if you guys like interact in the sermon at all, but I'm going to have you say with me, because of how important this is, especially as we talk about the difference between the old and the new, God doesn't change. So on three, we're going to say that together this morning. One, two, three, God doesn't change. Wow, that's really good. You guys had your coffee this morning. I like it. So that's our first term, or that's our first concept that we're understanding that God doesn't change. The second one, the second term, is called progressive revelation. And all this means is that God, in his sovereignty, has chosen to reveal himself over time. Okay, Even in Hebrews chapter 1, it says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke... To our uh, fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us through his son. See, God has chosen to reveal himself over time. Somehow, I think we've gotten this picture—at least many people have gotten this picture—that you know, Adam and Eve they they sinned in the garden, and then all of a sudden, you know, UPS, Amazon Prime like delivers the Bible. Boom, there it is. And that—that's not what happens at all. But instead, what God does is he reveals himself. Over time, And so when we're looking even at the Old Testament and we're looking at the Old Covenant, we're seeing that God is revealing his character and he's revealing his plan over time. This is why I had you underline some of those words, this idea of, of the Old Covenant being a shadow and a copy. It was pointing to this time where God would ultimately reveal his plan of salvation and redemption unto us through the giving of his son. Now maybe if you, uh, do you guys do hunting here in Tennessee? Is there like deer hunting type of stuff? I, I don't know, I'm, I'm totally new. Jamie already made fun of my accent a little bit. I don't know what he's talking about. You guys all have an accent, I don't have an accent. Uh, but I, I grew up in a hunting family. Hunting was really important, like serious hunting. My dad had maps of our property, it had the, all the deer trails, it had where the stands were, you know. And um, when, when we would get up uh, in the morning, It wasn't like you got up when deer hunting started, Uh, you got up super early in the morning before the sun was even close to coming up because you needed to get into your stand uh, before it was light out and before opening season actually started when you could actually pull the trigger. And and so hunting at a very young age, my first time hunting, uh, we did the whole routine, my dad showed us the maps, who would be in what stands, all the deer drives, all that uh, sort of thing and I remember getting into my stand, and it was pitch black, and I must have been there for only a couple minutes. And all of a sudden, about 75 yards from me, I begin to hear this rustling, okay? So I'm like, what in the world is that? Now, as the light started to just kind of come up over the horizon a little bit, I could make out the shape of a deer. Okay, so I got excited, so you know my adrenaline's going a little bit, and of course I'm looking at my watch. Uh, not close enough yet. Not opening season. Can't do anything about it. Uh, so what I did is I just prepared myself and I just kind of, kind of aimed, kind of in that general uh, direction. And uh, as the light was coming up a little bit more, I could make out that it was a buck. Not, not a small buck. We're talking. I couldn't count, but at least twelve to fourteen point buck. So. Now my heart is pounding so hard, I'm getting nervous that the deer is going to probably get spooked because it can hear my heart. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, just get your mind on something else. Maybe think about, okay, this is my first deer. Do I mount just the antlers? Do I do a full head mount? Like, what, what, what am I going to do? Okay, so I'm just looking back and forth, looking at the watch, looking over there. And, and, and more of the sun is, is beginning to come up. We're getting just moments away now from that magical time when it is opening season and finally the sun comes up over the horizon to reveal a garbage bag caught in some branches waving around okay now i get that the illustration breaks down the metaphor breaks down a bit but here's kind of the point and the point that the author is making to the hebrews he's saying that the old covenant is not the full reality It's a shadow, it's a pattern, it's in preparation for God to fully reveal himself and to reveal his plan of redemption. It's not untrue, there's not not falsities in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, but it's not the full truth. And and here's why he's saying all of this. This context of the passage is actually even going to be real important to the context once we get to the point of application at the end here's the context of the hebrews okay is this was written to a group of christians of christ followers who had a jewish background okay and what had happened is that they were experiencing some persecution and so because of the persecution that they were experiencing there was this tendency for them to go back to their old ways Okay, that we, we do that. Have you ever been under a time of, of stress and you kind of almost just revert back to old ways, even if those old ways are, are unhealthy for you? And, and so these uh, Christians that were so used to the old traditions of the old covenant, they started to gravitate back towards them. And, and so the author say, no, 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 do not do it. Whatever you do, don't go back to the old, look at God has revealed himself fully in in, in Christ. And and so you need to continue to move forward. And then he begins to contrast and to explain and gives some different reasonings of why the new is better than the old. We haven't even got to point number one yet. And uh, Jamie gave me very strict instructions not to preach over an hour and a half. So we better continue to move on here. Just kidding, Jamie and everybody else. Okay. Okay. Um, but here, here's, all of that is really this base for us. Remember, God doesn't change, okay, so God isn't changing, but God did choose to reveal himself over time, and so because of that, he's relating with humanity in different ways as he is revealing himself fully and revealing his plan of salvation. And so uh, what he, what happens here, and you can open your Bibles uh, back up uh, he begins to, the author begins to recite, recite Jeremiah 31. And in there he says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. So our, our first point that we're looking at here, if you'd like to take notes, I think it's projected on the, on the uh, TV as well, why the new is better than the old is that the new is internal versus external okay the new is internal versus external does this keep can you hear with the microphone or is it flying off good you're like you're loud enough you're plenty loud sorry get a little excited about this stuff all right by the way if you remember Easter Sunday Jamie had problems with his mic too and and you saved me yeah All right, internal versus external. So, uh, again, because this is a a Bible teaching church, you've you've probably heard if you've been hanging around for a while that there's some 613 commands uh, in the Old Testament. And uh, many of these uh, commands that God had commanded uh, dealt with uh, these kind of exterior kind of religious rituals, if if you will, and uh, they dealt with everything from dietary restrictions—you right? couldn't mix uh, meat with with milk, um, you know—so not a lot of cheeseburger joints in, in Jerusalem. Uh, there was lots of stuff of animal sacrifice. You know, if you spent time reading in the Old Testament, uh, there was physical uh, requirements. Uh, how? Uh, you could, um, you know, how you weren't supposed to trim your beard in, in Leviticus 19:27. Do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your of your beard. So there's all of these, you know, different uh, exterior religious uh, things, kind of rituals uh, that that were needed. Now, again, remember this is God was using this. He had commanded because this was part of the way that He was showing Himself and His character to His people. Some of them. <laughs> We'll see these really neat connections to uh, in the New Testament some of them still maybe seem a little obscure to us for the people back then they they would have um, it would have been definitely speaking been speaking to them and to their culture uh, to understand and, and as we contrast that in the New Testament, the shift and the focus goes from what's happening on the outside to really the internal. okay we even see Uh, This, as Jesus is interacting with with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of that time, one of my favorite uh, uh, of these interactions is that the Pharisees uh, see that the disciples aren't washing their hands to have this religious kind of purity, they're not following, uh, now those are rules not just of the Old Testament, but ones that the Pharisees had even added onto the Old Testament, and they're like, aha, we caught you. You think that you're so good. You think that you're so righteous. You're saying you're the son of God. How can that even be? You're not even following the laws or the rules that we've made up as, as is concerned with religious purity. Here was Jesus' answer. I love this. He says, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of your body? Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I read Jesus, I, I tend to read him uh, with even just a little bit of this sharpness, some of this little bit of a s- sarcastic tone. We're kind of used to kind of flannel graph Jesus, like Jesus warm, cuddly, and he, it, you know, Jesus is very tender-hearted, but when he's dealing with hypocrisy or trying to communicate a truth here, uh, he, he says, don't you get it? Food and, and, and purity, you're talking about food that goes in one end and goes out the other. That's essentially what he's saying, and then he says this, so he says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these are what defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands, that doesn't defile them. So We're seeing that the new covenant is about what's going on on the inside, and what we learn from scripture is that when, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, God's Holy Spirit dwells inside of us and he changes and transforms and conforms us into the image of his son over time. There is this lifelong process of being changed and transformed into the image of Jesus and this is what the new covenant is about. It's not just about the external checklist. It's not about rules and regulation But the new covenant is about transformation. All right, verse 10, uh, if you have your Bible still open, he says, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So if you're following along, your second write-in is why the New Testament is better than the old is that it's relational versus transactional. It's relational versus transactional. Now, this is not a new phrase. God said this in the Old Testament. He said, hey, you're gonna, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people. So that's, that's not a new phrase uh, at all. However, if you read through the Old Testament, you will see that the people experience their, re- their relationship with God on a transactional type of level. What do I mean by transactional? Transactional is kind of the if-then types of statements. In, in the Old Covenant, it would often be God saying, hey, if you do this then this is what the result is going to be. If you follow my commands, you'll have a large family. You'll have a good job. There's going to be lots of crops. You're going to have peace with all the countries around you. If you do not follow my commands, you're going to be barren. You're going to have hard work. You're going to have war uh, from all of the... So there was this transaction. It's how they experienced it. I mean, think about it in your life. I know we don't... uh, Uh, You don't have them here, but if you've ever visited other states that have um, tollways and there's like the toll people, I mean, how often are you like, man, I have such a good relationship with the toll person. Every time I come, they're so nice and they open up the gate for me. No, right? Because what happens is a transaction. You drive through, you put your money in, the gate goes up. You don't put your money in, the gate comes back down. There's just this transaction that happens. Now, that's an extreme example. That's not how I'm saying God operated that way. However, this is how people experienced more of their relationship with God. There was so much of this if-than type of feeling uh, to their their relationship. Uh, Jesus said, though, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. See, when we refer to, uh, to this, this is to me. This is really so much of the gospel. This is this is this is the good news that our relationship with God isn't based on our works. It's not based on the transaction. All of the good stuff that we do, then we're going to get something from God. But instead, it's based on what Christ has accomplished for us. I mean, this is just such a huge thing. This is a huge thing for the original audience that is hearing, hearing it, but it's, it's, it's huge for us as well too. And, and we'll talk about this uh, at the end of the, of the uh, sermon when we get to this point of really applying it to our lives, what a fundamental shift it can be for us to really live in those gospel implications of it being relational instead of transactional. All right, moving right along here, uh, we see uh, still in uh, verse 10 where he says, For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. And so for your third fill-in, you can write in inclusive versus exclusive. Uh, so the Old, uh, uh, Old Testament, uh, once again, or the Old Covenant, uh, was based much more on a system of exclusivity. So if you read all of of Hebrews, there's even lots of discussion about the temple in there and even how the temple was structured, uh, was structured in a way that helped people see uh, the holiness of God and the sinfulness of humanity. That was a real important thing. And so there was, the temple was broken up into sections, you know, there was the holy of holies, the high priest could go there just once a year, but then there was another section that was just for priests, then there was another section that was you know, just for those that were religiously pure, and eventually, like, even excluded all the way to the outside were the Gentiles. Okay, now again, there was a purpose to this, right? God was revealing who he was, and one of the important things for humanity to understand, again, was the holiness, the the purity of God, and the utter sinfulness of us as human beings, and so there were these systems that were set up as far as exclusivity. Now, Again, let's go back to where we started. God doesn't change. Does this mean that God only loved a certain amount of people, that he only really liked the people that, that came from uh, the nation of Israel? I would argue absolutely not, because we see right from the beginning that God it has always been his intent that all the peoples of the earth would be able to have a relationship with him. Genesis chapter 12 and the call of Abraham says, I'm going to bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. And all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. So it's true, God did have a unique, maybe even special relationship with the people of Israel. But God chose to do that To have a relationship that to to reveal his ultimate plan of redemption would be open to absolutely everyone. This is why we see in other parts of the New Testament, it says, you know, there's not um, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. All are one in Christ. There is this inclusiveness, there's this ability for anyone to place their faith in Jesus, to be forgiven by Jesus, to be redeemed and to have relationship with God. All right, our final fill-in doesn't mean that we're done with the sermon, but our final fill-in that we have uh, from verse 12 where he says, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Why the new is better than the old is that the new is about uh, uh, being merciful versus judgmental. Okay, merciful versus judgmental. Um, I have a question for you. It's not a rhetorical one. I really do want you to raise your hand. Um, Have you ever heard someone say, um, I like the God of the New Testament, but I don't really like the God of the Old Testament? So I'm really asking you, if you've heard that, don't raise your hand if you haven't, but if you've ever heard that, raise raise your hand before. Okay, now don't raise your hands for this, but maybe there's some of you even within this room that still feel that way. Like, well, I I like the God of the New Testament, but I don't like the God of the the old. Uh, Well, well, here's something that's going to be so important for you to understand. It's the same God, right? God doesn't change. The same God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament, but he has chosen to reveal himself in his plan of redemption differently to the old covenant people than he has to the new covenant people. And so when we talk, again, about the Old Testament and you see the wrath and the judgment of God, what that is portraying is that we serve a God of justice. And justice is one of those characters that we can all get behind. Because when we see something that is unjust or unfair in this world, what do we demand? We demand justice. And we serve a God that is fully just. And so when we begin to put that together with some of the other characteristics of God, and we know that God is holy, and that we are a sinful people, there's unfairness there, there's inequity there, and, and so because of that, we deserve a punishment. We, we essentially deserve the wrath of God. And as you read through the Old Testament, and you read through the Old Covenant, you see that people received and experienced even that direct wrath of God. Well, God is just as just in the New Testament as well. And this is the exact reason that God sent his son, Jesus Christ. He sent Jesus to be the payment for our sin. See, Jesus took upon himself. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, if you've probably if you've lived in the South, you even know, yes, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and maybe even have have said that over time or told that to other people. But are you able to even put the connection together? That that, that's the wrath that we deserved. We deserved, as scripture says, we deserve death because because of our sin. But that's the penalty. Jesus didn't deserve it at all, and yet he intentionally went to the cross so that we might be redeemed in our relationship with God. Jesus takes on that wrath, uh, takes on that wrath for us, and so this is really, to me, this is the that's the most glorious part of uh, of of being in the new covenant, that we have this forgiveness uh, that is offered uh, through Jesus and through the cross. Now, now, maybe you're you're newer to church or newer back to church or. Uh, maybe we're just a part of VBS this last week and thought, well, you know, nothing's free in this world, so I better just come to church at least once, or I I don't know why you're here. Um, But maybe some of this stuff is beginning, maybe there's a few connecting points for you, and you've even, uh, uh, through the power of God's spirit, have made some of those connections and realized, oh, I get it, so that's why, uh, that's why Jesus died. Well, in a few moments, as we close in service, I want to invite you uh, to, to make the most important decision in your life, and that is to place your faith in Jesus, uh, to accept uh, the, what he did for you on the cross, uh, that he would begin uh, a, a work in transforming and conforming uh, your life. But, but I want to, I know that for many of you, you knew that already. You knew a lot of this stuff here today. Uh, but I want you to, to, to ask some gospel implications Because you're going, Danny, guess what? No problems here. I'm not like going back to a kosher lifestyle, right? Now, some of you are like, hey, the beard thing, the hipster, that's kind of in. Maybe I could go back to that. But um, there's no chance I'm going back to the Old Testament ways. But how about some of the ways that even within Christianity, we tend to revert back to the Old Covenant ways, right? How how much of our Christianity really is based on the exterior? Here's, Here's the checklist go to church, you know, go to Sunday school, join a small group, tithe, um, you know, make sure you have the fish bumper sticker on the back, whatever it is, whatever your little checklist is, that you th- and, and it's all about the exterior, but really in the new covenant, having a relationship with Jesus, it's, it's, it's the interior. How about this one? This is the one that I actually think is, is trips up uh, many followers of Christ. Is transactional. How many of you Uh, have become self-righteous and and you're looking at your relationship with God you're going God look at me I mean especially in comparison to the other people around me even the other Christians around me I'm doing pretty good therefore why aren't you blessing my life why don't I have the job that I want or the spouse that I want or the income that I want or the neighborhood that I want or the vacations I want transactional or the reverse lots of Christians are in the reverse, and they're saying, you know what, I've done this, that, the other thing, and so I don't deserve, God, I don't deserve anything. And uh, uh, Satan really just even uses that as a tool for people to kind of self, self-loathe. Guess what, it's, it's, it's not, again, it's not based on what you have done, it's based on the work and what has been accomplished for you on the cross. Then you're in right standing with God. It's not this uh, transactional thing. What about even the inclusive versus exclusive? Again, I think it's easy as a church to all of a sudden be kind of exclusive and be like, ah, we got this figured out. Righteous ones um, kind of look a little different at people. Maybe they dress a little different. Maybe they were, uh, have a, you know, uh, whatever. You know, you know where they were last night, and, 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 and they don't have any problem showing it. It's like, ah, oh, don't maybe you need to kind of just clean up before you come in here. I think as we see Jesus, he's saying, no, I, I came for the sick. You know, I, I, I came to seek and to save those that are lost. And, and I hope then that, that the new covenant people, that the church is willing to say, yes, Christ's crucifixion on the cross is for you as well too. And, and same with this merciful being judgmental. Unfortunately, uh, for many Christians, uh, they uh, are known, Christians are known for being judgmental instead of merciful. And I think if we are to be the body of Christ and we are to embody the the, the new covenant, uh, then we ought to be a people uh, that is full of mercy and grace. Uh, Does that mean that we never uh, uh, call sin, sin, and that we don't um, call people out? Absolutely not. You can still do that. But I'm talking about that heart of mercy and grace as we relate to other believers, and even as we relate to non-believers. So this is what I want you to do. Um, I, I want you, if you came with someone um, here today, that when you uh, leave here today, maybe it's you go out to lunch or sometime during this week, or if you have some family time, look at this list, You know, the external, the transactional, the exclusive, the judgmental, and just say, if there's one of those that you seem to kind of gravitate towards, When when you're kind of under stress, under pressure, under persecution, or just not walking strongly with the Lord? Which one is it? You know, we all have them. We we all make mistakes. We're all susceptible to sin and temptation. And just use that as a discussion point. Okay, say, hey, here's one of those things. So if there's an area, uh, and and allow this to be a time that, that God reminds you of the goodness of who he is and what it means to live in his grace and his mercy. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you are a God that doesn't change. Thank you again that you've chosen to reveal yourself to us through your word and even things that don't make complete sense to us in the Old Testament. We know that it all points to the time for us to understand that you died on the cross for our sins. I pray right now through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would even uh, touch and, and quicken the hearts of those that may not know you, but, God, that you are doing something in their heart and in their life, and they know who they are, that even right now, that they would just realize and say, yes, God, that's me. That they would recognize, and and in their own words, they would just say, yes, God, I am a sinner. Forgive me, Jesus, that I have sinned. Come into my heart, come into my life. I surrender my life to you. May you be the king of my life. Change me. Make me new. Give me a a clean start. Give me a fresh slate and that I may serve you. And God, for the rest of us that have made that decision before, God, I I pray that you would show us ways in which we go back to our old ways. That that even uh, old uh, traditions, old ways in which we uh, uh, kind of fake our Christianity, but instead I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in us. God, make us ones in which we uh, are, are just in love with you, that we understand your love that you have for us, that we understand the magnitude, uh, God, of, of what you did for us. Thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, to raise on the third day that we might have new life here and life eternal with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.